Well, we continue uh, here this week with um, this series that I have entitled, It's All About Jesus. Because remember, if in doubt and you're talking theology, the proper answer, even if you don't know, is Jesus. You got it. So you all make an A today. Last week, uh, we began considering uh, what is known as the, the great I am statements of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. These I am statements are unique to the Gospel of John and are really essential for us uh, to know who Jesus is, why he has come, and uh, what he does on our behalf. Um, it gives us a glimpse into something that is uh, way beyond our ability to comprehend. Uh, and yet, uh, God speaks to us through His Word, the living Word, particularly Jesus Christ, that we might know the one who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and our triune, eternal God. By using these words, I am. Jesus connects the dots for us, uh, as I mentioned to you last week, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Moses was told by God uh, in, in Exodus through the burning bush uh, to go tell the people that I am has sent you. That name, I am, comes from that Hebrew word uh, that is the verb to be, Yahweh. Uh, I am who I am. Uh, he is, he was, and he is to come. There is not a time when this God was not. And there is never going to come a time when this God will never be. Now we'll get to experience some of that as we uh, rejoice at the resurrection for all eternity. But... Uh, we were not created eternal. We have a beginning. Jesus had just fed, as we look at this passage here in John 6, uh, the 5,000, the crowd of 5,000. He had withdrawn uh, to spend uh, a quiet evening uh, sometime alone up on the mountainside, and both Jesus and the disciples had uh, left uh, to travel to Capernaum. Now the disciples we know went by boat and Jesus went by foot uh, walking on water and met the disciples out three miles out in the middle of uh, the Sea of Galilee and the next day somehow the crowds have figured out that Jesus is not where they had left him so they themselves travel around to the other side of the sea which is where we pick up here in John 6. Uh, let me begin reading verse 40 here and then um, pick up with the rest of these verses in 26 and following. I'm sorry, John 25 and then pick up with verse 26. When the crowds had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, they said, ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that Of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. The grass withers, and flowers fade and fall. But these words of our Lord God endure forever. Heavenly Father, almighty, gracious, loving, and good God, feed us this day with the one who is the bread of life, the living word, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we hear the sound of your voice, his voice, speaking to us in and through these words. We pray in His name. Amen. How do you get to know somebody? How do you get acquainted with someone that you may not know very well? You spend time with them. I think that's certainly the first place to begin. You sit down with them over a cup of coffee or a spot of tea or maybe a meal, breaking bread together over the table. You probably ask probing questions. And some of you are very good at doing, at drawing out information. There are many ways that we can uh, obtain information about 
people that we seek to know. We can interview family, friends. If the person is famous enough, maybe uh, someone has written a book or books about them. We can certainly read those books about him or her. Maybe that person has written something about themselves. An autobiography that we can read firsthand about the life and the mind and the desires of this person. One thing we certainly do is listen carefully when that person speaks that we try to get to know. And our Bibles, we have the very Word of God. Our Bibles were originally written by somewhere between 35 and 40 unique and different people over a period of over 1,400 years. And yet, at the heart at the very center of all of these words written by so many people over so much time is one message from one person, and that is a message from God Himself to us through our Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21 says this, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Spirit, spoke from God. Hear God's words before us this morning. How are we going to proceed in getting to know the one who is our Lord and Savior? In discovering who this one is, we're going to learn about him from the words that he has spoken. What God has revealed to us about him. And here in the Gospel of John, we hear Jesus making several statements that He's given to us about who He is by Him saying, I am. Announcing that He is God in the flesh. I am, He says, the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd of those sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. All of these I am statements reveal to us who Jesus is and the heart of the gospel message. Many of the people who followed Jesus at this point were hoping, praying, that he would be a political leader. One who would reach down in the depths of their lives and raise them up to affluence, to protection. They wanted political solutions. They wanted free handouts. They wanted material goodies. They wanted goodie bags given to them by the one that they were following. And for them... Jesus was the latest and the greatest solution to all of their social problems. Different types of people were following Jesus that we see revealed here in this passage today. There were those who were looking for the material things that they could glean out of this leader. There were those who 
were uh, looking for laws and rules and regulations to follow that they might be considered right before God. And there were those too who were looking for some excitement in the, in the message and the ministry of this prophet that was before them. The very first group of people is the materialists that we find here. All of these people during the first century lived under Roman rule. Rome has uh, some limited success in instituting a sort of what we might call a welfare program during this time. What was going on historically from 27 B.C. as best as we can figure to about 180 A.D. into the 2nd century is this period of time called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Now, there were skirmishes, there were wars, there were battles going on at that time, but there was a a general and relatively uh, stable sense of peace that was doled out by the Roman government through a program called Bread for Peace. Almost sounds like uh, something we might hear about today as as a social welfare program. During this time, there were many hungry, there were jobless, homeless people in Rome. So the government tried to avoid riots by appeasing the citizens with handouts, with food, with supplies for living. In the end, the plan backfired because the demands of the crowd grew more and more and more and steadily grew to the point that the Roman government couldn't supply all the demands. Jesus enters the scene. And he faces a a similar problem the very day that he feeds the masses with barley, cakes, and salt-dried fish. In fact, when when the crowd arrives, they look at him and say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus responds with those words that we read in verse 26. He answers them and says, Truly, truly. I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You want more. Some of the people following Jesus just wanted to be fed physically with food that he would give them. I know it's a dangerous place to step out, but... Jesus experienced all temptations, and we might rightly say all things that we experience, yet without sin. So when I experience something, I have this this picture of Jesus being confronted with some of the same things that all of humanity experiences. We have in the back of the manse bird feeders hanging on poles, some near fences, and we feed those birds that are around there. We look out that back window in the, in the breakfast room at the manse, and 
When those bird feeders are full, when those suet cages are packed with suet, you know what we see? A multitude, a menagerie of animals in our backyard. Birds of every size and color. Squirrels, raccoons, possums hanging upside down to eat of those seeds, gorging themselves on sunflower seeds and seeds of all kinds. Birds flocking to those feeders. Well, sometimes I get busy. Sometimes I forget to fill those feeders. And you know what happens? The birds and the animals disappear. They're gone. I forget to fill the feeders and uh, they're, they're empty and the birds and the animals all disappear. Do they appreciate what I've done? Probably, I don't know. Probably not. I mean, because they're gone. They're all looking someplace else for those, uh, those seeds. Did they have any sense of loyalty to me uh, in return for our generosity? I'm sure not. You know, there's something in missionary terms. When we consider third world countries and going into those countries and providing resources for them, there's a fine line between helping them to live and encouraging them to continue to live after the resources are gone. Missionaries have this um, phrase, and it's not intended to demean anybody, but it's, it's a phrase that is called rice Christians. And you may have heard that phrase. People who quickly convert to Christianity in exchange for food or some other physical benefit. And the problem with rice Christians is that when the goodies are gone, so are they. Sometimes I think the people in our country and in our world today, some even calling themselves Christians, that's, it's not so different. Too many people use church for business contacts or community status. I've even had someone tell me over the past not here, uh, but years that I've been in ministry pastoring a church that they were thinking about going to another church where the, 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 the pool of uh, possible uh, spouses was a little bit deeper than where it is now. Now, there's certainly, I, I'm not talking about anybody here, but, you know, and I, I had, it, it took me back. Because this was a mature Christian sitting across the study table talking to me about his desire. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. People are quick to turn their back on God the first time He fails to deliver for them what they think He should 
provide. And hear how Jesus responds to those people. He says, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the Father God has set His seal. Standing before them is the answer to all of their needs, their wants, their desires, their lives. The materialist turns away from that message. And others eventually turn away from it too. May have been from that same group saying to him, Okay, what do we need to do? What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? These people couldn't get a free lunch. At least they wanted a list of rules that they could hang their coats on. Never ceases to amaze me that organized religion People drawn together in common faith by its very nature draws people who are looking for someone to tell them what to do. I've had that spoken to me too. Here's all the words. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what I need to do. Give me 12 laws, 5 rules. Give me something concrete that I can follow. Throughout Christian history, the church has often fallen into this sin of legalism. It was a problem with the Pharisees, as we well know, during the first century, who had over 613 laws about things to do and things not to do. And Jesus said about them, they are ones that tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. What do those laws and those rules and those regulations do? They burden us down and there's no way to keep them. To obey them perfectly. See, the problem is it's easier to make rules and hide behind those rules than it is to build relationships. Jesus has sent His Spirit to write His law upon our hearts. He came not to uh, abolish the law, but to fulfill it so that through faith and trust in Him, we fulfill those laws out of love for what He has done for us. Our delight is in the law of the Lord as we meditate upon it day and night. Here are ones that Jesus spoke to and answered and said to them, okay, you want something to do? I'll give you this. This is the work of God. Here it is. Plain and simple. 
that you believe in Him who He has sent. He's saying, believe in Me, Jesus, whom God has sent you. See, this kind of relationship can't be bought with goodie bags, with uh, free gifts from us. It can't be built on rules. The materialist wants those things of this world, the physical things of this world to fall back upon for their security and their welfare. The legalist wants the law, but not the lawgiver. There's one more group who would ultimately turn their backs on Jesus that day. So they said to him, all right, what then do you do for a sign? so that we may see and believe you. Mind you now, these are people who had just in the past 24 hours witnessed one of the greatest miracles, feeding of the 5,000. And now they're asking the one who performed that miracle Okay, do something so that we may believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers, they said, ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Obviously, the miracle of the feeding 5,000 gave them enough faith, a a little uh, incentive uh, to follow Jesus on the other side of the lake to find him. But yesterday's miracle was not enough to last until the next morning. For the materialist, the legalist, and here are the ones who are looking for great things, who want to be stimulated with sensations. Remember the story in Exodus chapter 16. People began to... These are God's people who had just witnessed also a huge uh, miracle, the parting of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's armies following behind this, this group of God's people, and now they're caught between Pharaoh's army and the, the great Red Sea. What are they to do? You know, Moses lifts his arms with that staff, and the waters part. Several days after that miracle, these very people are grumbling and complaining and saying, why did you bring us out here, Moses, to die in the wilderness? We had bread, we had sufficient food back in Egypt, and you brought us out here to die. Moses intercedes for those people, and God provides manna from heaven for them. The manna fell each day, and each day these people had food to meet their daily need requirement. If they tried to gather more manna, then would, uh, you know, maybe hold over to the next day, 
Scripture tells us that that manna bred worms and became foul. But the amazing thing was that on the eve of the Sabbath day, that day of rest, they could gather double the portion and it would not putrefy. It would last for that day of rest. There's a whole sermon in that that we'll say for another time. But each person, irrespective of their age, their status, or their effort, was provided with an omer of manna each day. About three quarters of a gallon per person, per day. And that for 40 years. God graciously provided for these grumbling and complaining people in the wilderness. And the people here before Jesus referred to that provision there. And mistakenly credit the provision that they say was the manna from heaven to Moses. And they challenged Jesus to provide such manna for them. And to do it now. Jesus quickly corrects them and states that it was God the Father who had provided the manna and who has now provided another bread from heaven. See, we have plenty of these kinds of churchgoers, all three of these kinds in all churches over the entire world. These sensationalists are They like to be rallied. They like to have uh, the the pastor give a a motivational speech to to get you excited about leaving these doors and going into the world and living your life until the next time when you can be filled up again with another rally cry and emotional speech. Keep them wild. Keep them on the edge of their seat They'll stick around. But bore them? And they're gone. These are people who crave spiritual excitement. They love spectacular entertainment. They want new experiences all the time. They want Jesus to take them from one mountaintop experience to the next with no valleys in between. They want all kinds of rewards, but they don't want any responsibility. Jesus responds to them, For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, they still don't see it, do they? Always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am. I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. He said, I am the bread of life. It seems a simple enough statement and yet to those who are listening as hopefully we are listening here this morning, this statement is revealing. It is shocking 
Because Jesus dared to utter that name, Yahweh, I am. I am God. I am the bread of life. He applies this name to Himself. Not just a good man. Not simply a prophet. But the bread of life. I am God. And how do people respond? What is the crowd's response? We see over the next few verses. In verse 34, one response is, Lord, always give us this bread. Still not really realizing what they're saying. The response of this crowd tells us a lot about the difference between what people want and what people need. And so often, the very thing that people need the most is the last thing that they're looking for, that they want. The general crowd didn't really realize what they were saying. They knew they needed to be fed, but they really did not know what they wanted. There's another group of people. The Jews were grumbling about Him. We read in verse 41. And why? Because He said, I am. <laughs> I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, I mean, this is the man that stands before us. We know. Is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down out of heaven? When you think about it, the people who walked out on Jesus wanted what He could give to them in the same way we might walk into any store and say, this is what I want. I'm going to pay for it. And let me go with it. These people wanted to do business with Jesus. The charismatic leader. Jesus the miracle worker. Jesus the bread giver. Jesus the bread of life that has come down out of heaven just somehow didn't seem to resonate with them. And it turns out that even some we read of His closest disciples wanted Jesus only for what they could get out of Him. They had no real interest in having a true, heartfelt, life-changing relationship with Him. So Jesus said to them, even to the twelfth, as all of these people are leaving to try to find something to fulfill their physical needs and desires, He even turns to those closest to Him, the twelve, and says, do you also want to go your way? 
Do you too want to leave my side? Well, thankfully, there was one who had recently walked on water with his Lord. Peter, the the spokesperson often of the group, spoke up and said, "Uh, Lord, where shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Here is walk on water Peter, who was beginning to understand what all the crowds had missed. The apostles weren't there for fish sandwiches. To start a Jewish revolt. To find a new list of rules to keep and to abide by or to get in on a, a Jesus a pep rally. They weren't there to hold a big miracle crusade. They were there because they believed and they knew the One who is the Son of God. The Holy One of God. The Messiah. The Anointed One of Israel. The One who is the bread of life. And all they needed was what they already had. Jesus the bread of life. What did he mean when he said that? I am the bread of life. What did he mean? In the first century, bread was a staple of everyday life. It was fundamental. It was foundational to daily living. In every village, the sound of the the millstone grinding would have been heard, would have been sounds of, of... Sustenance. For there to be no sound of grinding meant there would be no bread. There would come a time of disaster, of famine. Some of the prophets picked up on this connection between life and bread. And Jeremiah... I don't have the slide here for you, but uh, Jeremiah 25, verse 10. Jeremiah says, Moreover, I will take from them, he's talking about God's people, I will take from them voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. I will take from them the joy of of their life and their salvation when there is no bread and there is no darkness. And I don't think it's coincidence that Jesus speaks of Himself as the light of the world and the living bread. Bread was a staple of daily life and most of these people only ever ate bread. Imagine that. Anything else would have been a luxury for them. So Christ claiming to be the bread of life standing before them was saying that He, I am essential to your life. To daily living. And we prayed today. In the Lord's prayers, we pray each week, and you probably pray during the week, give us this day our daily bread. And for me, folks, 
Jesus saying this takes on new meaning when we repeat that phrase, give us this day our daily bread. We think about bread, about sustenance, about food. Feed us today. But here's Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Give us this day my daily bread. Let my life, my resources, my strength come from the one who is essential to my living and my life. It's interesting too that Jesus was born in a place called Bethlehem. And the two parts of that name, Beth, Lehem, Beit, Lechem, the city of bread. There is the one who comes, the bread of life. Christ, the bread of life, was born in the, the house of bread. He is saying that He is the staple of everyday life, of their lives and ours, and He is all we need. When Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, He who comes to Me will not hunger, even though we may hunger physically. He will provide for us spiritually. And He who believes in Me will never Thirst, bread and water, elements, resources that we need for life. Jesus says, look to me, for I am your life. No matter how much we eat, you know, we eventually get hungry again. But Jesus is the one who fills us and says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they shall be satisfied. Is He all you need? Is He all you desire? Is He all you want? Is He your bread of life? I wonder if He... <laughs> came into this room and stood before us today and said, I am the bread of life. Would we have stuck around? Or would we have walked away like the materialist, legalist, and the sensationalist? Or would we echo Peter's words when he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. What do you desire to do? To live holy, sanctified, Lives before the one who is our God through Jesus Christ who is our sustenance, our bread of life. And Jesus put it this way in, in John chapter 4, a few chapters before what we have just read here this morning. Jesus said to them, 
My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Is that our desire here this morning? Do we draw our strength from the One who is the bread of life? Is our food, as Jesus said, to do the will of Him who saves us? Who sacrificed Himself for us? that we might live and accomplish the work that He has sent each of us into this world to do. I am, Jesus said, the bread of life. He who believes in Me will never hunger. He who trusts in Me wholly and completely will never thirst. Heavenly Father, we do pray as we close here this day, that You would enable us to sort out in each one of our lives the essentials of what we need to live holy and blameless before You. And having considered that, Lord, May we see and know and understand and comprehend the very depths of our soul that all we need is a relationship with the One who is our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.